The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. In your pew Bible, if you have that. Uh, somewhere in the midst of all my things, my Bible went somewhere, so I'm using a pew Bible today as well. We are in the book of Hebrews, and I just want to say thank you again. My, my, my brother, Pastor, Brother Willie, was here last week preaching. I hope you were encouraged by him. Uh, he's, he's, he's a gem, and he's visiting a, another uh, fellow pastor of his this morning who is retiring after many years. And so we appreciate that break last week to focus on things in-house. So we're picking up our book of Hebrews. We'll be here for another 10 to 12 months. We're trucking through it. And this morning, we're going to do, get through part one of part two, why did Jesus come? And so if you have your Bible this morning, if you're able to, would you join us in standing? And I know if you're able to, that's a key word. We do this in honor of God's word. You've done a lot of standing. It's good exercise. You're strengthening those leg muscles. You're burning off your breakfast. And more so, you're exercising your spiritual muscles, right? So it's good. Let's read together Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. Part one of why Jesus came. And this book of Hebrews written by an unknown author, inspired by God, but to all God's glory, here it is. And you'll hear some of this we've read this morning already, but here's Hebrews 2, chapter, verse 5 through 13. Now it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It was testified elsewhere. This is quoting Psalm 8. Brian read this earlier. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him speaking of Jesus, a little, for a little while, a little lower than the angels. And you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything in subjection under his feet. But now in putting everything in subjection to him, you left nothing outside his control. And at present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. But verse 9, we see him who was li lifted a little, what was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, speaking of, of Christ, for whom, by whom all things hold and exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies those who are being sanctified all have one origin. That is that he is not ashamed to call you brothers, saying, I will tell them their name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I I and I are the children God has given me. Listen, if you're coming today, we're going to hit Hebrews, and it's going to get technical for a moment, but I want you to focus in on one thing. If you, if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. Verse 11 tells you, verse 12 tells you, Jesus is not ashamed of you. You brought a lot of baggage into church today that no one else knows about. And it's past baggage, it's present baggage, it may be future baggage. I don't know. But I want you to know, God is not ashamed of you. Because of everything we just read, God has happily called you brother or sister in Jesus Christ. What an awesome God we serve. We're going to talk about this this morning, and bear with me. We're going to get through it. It's Hebrews, right? It takes a lot of patience, but we're going to get there. And so young people, young kids, if you're here today, uh, we're going to talk to you for a moment. Not, and just So just listen up, but you can get this too. If I can understand it, kids, you can understand it, right? So it's there. Let's pray together. It's so good to see you, and we'll get into our sermon from there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. We, we thank you for Hebrews. Thank you for the book of Hebrews, written to people who 
knew Jesus, but were tempted to go back to the things before Jesus. Father, how easily we do that in our lives. We know you love us, but we dabble in the things that you say not to. Father, thank you for your grace, your protecting grace from things that keep us from walking with you. We love you, Lord. We pray in this weekend where our church is tired and weary and mourning that you would lift us high to remember what we're here and what we're here to do. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated for at least 30 minutes. There you go. I'm just giving you a hard time. I like that. Well, guys, sometimes when it comes to school, and some of you kids know this or you're learning this, but sometimes when it comes to school, when you grow up, there's always someone who's smarter than you in your class. And some of you in this room were those really smart people. But for the rest of us who had to not make A's all the time, we loved a thing called the curve. And Nelson will put this up. We loved when our teachers graded on the curve. What this was is, is if you had a really bad grade or you didn't do as well as you thought, that curve would raise your grade up. But there was always someone, wasn't there? There was always someone in school who had to get 100% on the test. And the teacher would not raise your grade because that person was perfect. And that person always got A's. You, all, you just wanted to go and like nudge them a little bit so they missed the wrong, circled the wrong answer or something. So that your grade would go up and theirs still being almost perfect would go just a little bit down. But a regular student would bank on the fact that someone would not be perfect and they didn't study enough and they'd get raised up with everyone else. You know what? You know, is it what, you know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all were grade hell. You love the curve. I love the curve. But that's not how life works all the time, is it? You are judged by your performance. You're judged by everything else. And I want to tell you that God does not grade on a curve. God does not look at you and say, ah, you tried your best. I'm going to raise you up a little bit. Do you know why? Because when Jesus came, he was that guy. Jesus came making all straight A's. He was perfect in everything he did, wasn't he? He raised the bar, so to speak, as what it always was, absolute perfection. In fact, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect. To get to heaven... You have to be absolutely perfect. And you know what? We don't like that. Because when Jesus shows up, we got to step up. And our stepping up, even as good as it is, is never going to make up for everything that was lost when we have sinned. And I want you to know this morning that the writer of Hebrews is going to give that sort of analogy. He has been telling us time and time again that there is a man named Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man who came, and that we don't have to step down to worship angels. We don't have to step down to look around at all these things of the world to get to heaven. We look to Jesus, and that's it. It's all you got to do. He's perfect. Go to him. And that's what he says. But we're human. Even though we know better, we still go like, can I be gross for a minute again? We're like that dog who throws up and goes back to the throw up to eat it again. And that's what just happened. That's a real world thing, right? Because that's what we know. And that's what we're used to. We don't want to be around that guy who's perfect because he just, he makes me feel awkward and weird. But guys, if you know Jesus this morning, I want you to know we should be grateful, shouldn't we, that our God is absolutely perfect, that he never makes an A minus, that he's always 100%, that he's perfect, he's complete, he doesn't change like the shifting shadows. But I want you to know this God who's perfect demands absolute worship. And as we go through this book of Hebrews again, he's going to explain to us why Jesus came. Because so often we forget why he actually came. Now, you may know this. You may remember this. 
but you need to be reminded of this just as they did because, guys, it is so easy to go this way or go that way. Well, but Darren, we're Christians. We're here on a Sunday morning. We're not doing whatever else. Yes, you are, and your hearts can be just as far away from God anywhere else out there as they can right here in this room. Be careful. And so this morning, I want to ask ourselves, why did he come? Why is it necessary that he came? Why, why all these things? And Pastor Nelson will put up the big idea for us. The big idea is simply this, is that Jesus came to make possible what is impossible for every sinner, eternal, unbreakable acceptance with God. You know that everyone around the world wants just to be accepted by God. They want God to, to take them as they are. They want God to bring them into the fold just as they are. And that's why Jesus came. I'm glad that Jesus takes us where we are, not where we could be. Because if we, he waited for us, we'd be long dead before we hit that point. And let me tell you, we'll never hit that point of perfection. But only Christ came. So we're going to look at two parts. We're going to look at two reasons this morning, two more next week. And this two-part series, why did Jesus came? Why did Jesus came? Why did he come? What happened? What made him come? And Nelson will put these up today as we go through, but I want you to remind you where we have been. Chapter 1 told us the bottom line is that Jesus is supreme, that now God has spoken through his Son. And, and, and that's the big picture. Chapter 1 is his deity. It's all about God. It's all about him coming. And we don't need prophets and dreams and visions and all these crazy things anymore. We now have God coming in the human flesh. That's chapter 1. But in chapter 2, he's starting to talk about Jesus as a man. He's talking about him being like you and like me. He's not an angel. He's greater than the angels, but he came a little lower than the angels. That's chapter 2. So like this illustration before, and I'm not an antique dealer, but apparently at one of our, our seminaries, a southern seminary in the president's home, they have an original portrait of George Washington, like painted back in the 1780s. It's priceless. But also in that same seminary home is one of Martha Washington, also priceless. Together, nowhere else in the world do we have those two portraits, except in one of our seminaries. How that happened, I have some Southern Baptists funded that like 150 years ago. Figure that out. But it's priceless. By themselves, they might sell maybe for a million apiece, two million, probably more. But together, they're priceless. The book of Hebrews says that you need Jesus as God and you need Jesus as human. And together, they're worth a lot more, eternally speaking, aren't they, than George and Martha Washington? But they have to be together. And that's what the book of Hebrews says. So first point is this. Why did Jesus come? Why is he greater than the angels? It's because of this. Verses 5 through 8. It's to regain lost creation. To regain lost creation. If you're taking notes, just a reminder, Bottom right, back page of the lyrics is some simple notes you can take and lots of white space if you need other things. You notice there in verse 5 that God says why Jesus came. He did not subject the angels to the world to come. In Hebrews 2, the writer is telling us that the angels had no part and parcel in anything ruling this world. And I want to remind you what an angel is. An angel is a spirit being. They are more powerful than you. They're wiser than you. They're, they can do things of higher intellect than you. They are supernatural. They can go in time and out of time. They can fly in things, and we really believe there are angels around. You believe that? Now, how many, let's go, it's been a couple weeks. Pastor, how many guardian angels do I have? I have no idea. But what I do know, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says that there are spirits, angels, watching over you at God's authority and at God's command. But especially in verse 5 now, these angels 
were not the ones who were to rule in this world. Now, it, it was not to the angels God subjected the world. Angels do not rule this world. God does. Angels do not have any authority except what God gives them. And that's a good thing. Because you remember there was, a, there was a, a angel, one of the brightest angels, who thought he had it all together. You remember his name? Ooh, Lucifer. Isaiah 14, you can read about in Revelation, he thought he had it all together. I'm God and you're not God. I'm going to take over your throne. Well, that didn't work out too well for him, did it? But I want to tell you he still rules this, he thinks he still rules this world. But our Lord tells us here that he is subjected to the Lord of Lords and his name is Jesus. And this future kingdom, this future kingdom that is coming was originally given to Adam, but now it's been given to the God-man, Jesus Christ. Remember in Romans it tells us that the first Adam, sin came through into this world. But now in Christ, salvation has come to all people. So God made right what was made wrong at the very beginning. And because of that, we now are going to have salvation. We have salvation as it is. You notice in verse 6, as he's talking about this regaining of creation, he quotes Psalm 8, 4 through 6. And he says, what is man that you should be mindful of him? I mean, have you ever thought about that for a second? Why does God give you a second look? Why does God care a lick about you and about me? Because he's an awesome God. The fact that God hears your prayer, the fact that God looks at you and says, I love you. The fact that God looks at you and says, man, I really want you in my fold. Guys, what an amazing thing. Don't take that for granted. I mean, think about how many people in this world that can look at you and say, I really want you. There are times if you're married, just being honest with each other, you're like, why do you accept me? And you're feeling humble. And then there are times you're really prideful. You're like, why, why did I let you marry me? <laughs> now, I'm on the low end of that. I look at my wife, and I'm like, whoa, I punted way past my coverage on this one, and I know that. <laughs> but the reality is God is regaining lost creation. God didn't dismiss us out of the garden and say, away, away with you. I don't want anything to do with you. He came and lived among us that he may regain creation. Do you know when you evangelize and share the gospel what you are actually doing? You're actually reclaiming the very land that God has said is mine. Every square inch of this world is God's. And every time you share and someone comes to Christ, you're reclaiming what is rightfully his. The angels can't do that. They can't be saved. The, the lost angels that are now demons cannot be redeemed. Only man can. But he's mindful of you. He thinks about you. His eye never leaves you. What's that old song? I'm looking, Tina's going to sing it as soon as I say it. The, his eyes on the sparrow. You know where I'm going with that. And Miss, uh, Miss Dixie outside, we were talking, there's the old song, God helps us, he cares for us. Guys, he loves you. But he loves you with a purpose, and it's that he would show his love to you and regain creation and all his land back through you. And he says in verse 7, you made him. How does he accomplish this? Well, he tells you. God remembers and is concerned. You know, he says he made him for a little while lower than the angels. How does he redeem? How does he regain creation? He regains creation by sending himself to come among us. You know, man is inferior. We're inferior in strength and intellect and powers and, and all this stuff. And God handed out assignments to the angels, and, and God put man in charge. But he created man, not angels, in his image. And to regain that lost creation, he had to send himself to do so. He had to send Christ to be our go-between. And he says, you made him a little lower than the angels. Now, be careful here. You have Jehovah's Witnesses, friends. They love this verse right here. 
Because for them, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, quoting Psalm 8, is another reason that Jesus is just a little less than God himself. He's not actually God, they say. He's just, he's close, but he's not, yeah, he's not quite up to snuff. It's kind of like, well, I'm, no, no sports references. I'm going to say the sports references. Well, it's kind of like the quarterbacks we've had before compared to Patrick Mahomes. It's like, they're not quite, a, you know, they're just not quite there. But in the spiritual realm, I want you to know that God had to humble himself. He had to become a man. He had to take on flesh so that we would be saved. An angel could never do that. A pastor could never do that. A priest, a goat could never do that. And he says that you, you have made him a little lower than the angels. Made him for what? Jesus did not lose any of his God, his deity, when he came on this earth. He just simply lowered himself. Philippians 2 says and told us that he emptied himself. He did not empty who he was. He emptied the right and some of, the, some of the, the, the fact that he did not always use his deity to his advantage. He humbled himself that we might be saved. All to regain lost creation. And it says, you crowned him with glory and honor. When Jesus came on this earth, he did not cease to be God. And he did not cease to be the ruler of this world. And friends, we have in our possession here a reminder that life is very, very precious. God did not dismiss life. He joined life. God did not run away from it. He enfleshed himself with it. That's why we believe every baby in the womb. That's why we believe every old person in a nursing home and everyone in between is absolutely precious in the sight of God. Because we, through those people, God has created his image and in them in his image. And what has he done? He says in verse 8 that he's put all things under his feet. Did you catch that? Adam was given dominion by God, but now this one, Jesus, has all authority and all power. Guys, I love that, don't you? This church at Tower View Baptist Church is only as successful as it can be as long as we remember that Jesus is in charge and we are not. And same too for your life. When you remember that Christ is in charge, you are simply taking orders, things make a little more sense in your life. It's when you fight against that and you rail against that that you forget he's the creator and you're the created. Pastor Nelson, you can go ahead and put up that little, that little spot on the slide if you would. But I want you to know, when God said this, yep, hit it a couple times. He's trying. It, it might not be there. But I want you to know, when God created all things, he said, it is finished. And when he created all things, he said, it is finished. And he rested. And after redemption, Jesus said, it is finished, and we can rest too. Christian, I want you to know, the more you realize that God is in charge, he sent his son to save you, the more you can rest. So often, we say we are saved by faith alone, don't we, church? But we try and prove God wrong sometimes because we say, God, I love you so much that I'm gonna show you that I'm worthy of the salvation. No, you're not. I wanna remind you of this, that when you are saved, you are to show your faith by your works, but your works still don't please God any more than they did before. They're simply an offering of thanksgiving to him. So many times we say, man, if I go to church a few more times, if I pray this prayer a few more times, if I just do these things for God, God's gonna bend his ear towards me a little bit more. No. You know, God hasn't, doesn't love you any more now than he loved you back then. God's love for you, when Don, our brother, entered glory, God's love for Don was not magnified any more in heaven as it is now than it was here on this earth. Because Jesus is constant. Because his whole purpose was to regain that relationship. 
our relationships ebb and flow or hot and cold. If I don't like what someone does for me, I don't like them for a week, right? Or if you're on Facebook, you get blocked or you get defriended. Like that's the ultimate like social sin these days. You used to get blacklisted. You remember that? Like they'd cross out your name in the phone book. They still make phone books anymore. They do that thing. Or if you're, but if you're on social media now and you get, like you go to find someone, you're like, I wonder what Darren's up to. And you see that the page doesn't exist anymore, you know that you just got blocked. Or if you work in corporate America and you email someone and their email bounces back and it's like, we can't find that sender anymore. Well, that guy just got canned and you know he's gone. But God never does that. He came to redeem creation so you might have that original relationship that was created with Adam and Eve, all through Jesus Christ. And Christian, you need to not outperform God. You need to let God work in your life and rest that he is enough for you, and he is. That's what he tells us. That's number one. Number two is this. He came to regain lost creation, but he also came to redeem lost sinners. He came to redeem lost sinners. And we'll get that up. We're, the, our computers are as tired as Pastor Nelson and I feel today. They're, they're slow, but they're working and they're getting up. He came to redeem lost sinners. Look at verse 9. I'm going to park in verse 9 and 10 for just a few minutes here. But he says in verse 9, uh, into verse 8, now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control, speaking of Christ. At present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. There's coming a time when Jesus is coming back and all things are under his feet, but you're going to know all things are under his feet. Like the psalmist, we cry out, God, why do the wicked prosper? But he tells us that all things are coming. But look at verse 9. He repeats it again. But we see him, speaking of Christ, who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels. And he, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I, if you are visiting with us, I love alliteration, so you're going to get seven S's coming at you. You ready for this? Seven S's, and they're not on your sheet. You can write them down if you want to. What does it mean that he came to redeem us? Well, I want you to notice there at verse 9 that this was a self-initiated death. A self-initiated death. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? I mean, kids, if your parents tell you to do something, you should probably listen to them, right? You should do it right away and do it because you love them and care for them. But you know what? Jesus did it right away too. You notice at the end of verse 9, it says, so that by the grace of God. What was this? Why did he come? Jesus did not come to save you because you were good looking. Jesus did not come to save you because you were stronger, faster, bigger, wider, whatever else. He came to save you because he loved you. It was self-initiated. To put it in very simple language, Jesus was a self-starter. He got after it. He got down to it. He self-initiated Jesus did not wait back and say, man, if just 50 more people pray to me right now and click this like button and share this post, I'm going to make sure I come down from heaven and, and make it all work out. If 100 people give a dollar a day for the next year, I'm going to come down from heaven and make sure that everyone gets saved. I'm so glad our God does not look like that. If you share those Facebook posts, please stop now. You're doing it wrong. Be very careful. He came because he loved you. Do you know why he came? He tells you there in verse 9, by the grace of God, he came. He doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loves us. And looking in the mirror isn't why he died. When you look in the mirror, he died all because of grace. Nothing will ever turn his love away from you. He died because he loved you that much. What an awesome God. 
But you notice secondly there, I'm going to park in one word here, self-initiating death. There's also a substitutionary death. Look at that word for, F-O-R, a substitutionary death. Why did he die? He died for what reason? Because he had to. You weren't good enough. I wasn't good enough. It means he took the place of. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's the Son of God living within me. John 10.11, Jesus said, I'm the, I'm the great shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Christian, you want to know when salvation gets real for you? It's when you realize that he died for you. Not y'all, he did. We'll get there in a minute. Not everyone in the world, he did that too. But when you re- go get serious with Jesus, it gets really real when you start realizing it was for you. He died for you. Yeah, we need to be careful. Christianity is not me, Jesus, and myself doing our own thing. It's in community. It's in a church. You're doing that today. But I want to remind you that Jesus died for you. That's when it gets real. Why did he come? He died substitutionarily. He took your place for you. Notice the third one there, verse end of verse 9. He died for who? Everyone. It's a sovereign death. It's a sovereign death. What do I mean by that? Look, Jesus died for those elect, those sheep of his, but I want you to know that everyone who believes in him or what chapter 1, verse 14 told us are the heirs of salvation. Jesus died for everyone. He saved sinners, not just made us redeemable. He died for everyone. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Look, I believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, as many of you in this room do, but I want you to know that I don't know who those salvation people are. I don't know. They don't have, as Spurgeon said, an E on them that says elect. We don't know who they are, but we know that we're to go into all the byways and highways and tell all the world the old, old story that he might save them. I'm so grateful that God loves everyone, don't you? If you're a Calvinist in this room, can I just speak that word for a second? John 3, 16 is your greatest verse, as it is anybody else. For God so loved the world, yes, he did, that all who call upon him will be saved. That's what we believe. What I want you to see in the starting of verse 10, it was a suitable death. Look at verse 10. It was fitting for him. Do you have that in verse 10? For it was fitting that he died. It was fitting. In other words, it was consistent. It was what it was made for. There's no greater display of God's love. It was consistent with his justice, his wrath, and his holiness. Everything was fitting for him. All the attributes of God we've said before come together at the cross. They meet at the cross. Jesus, it was fitting for him. Only Christ could have done it. It was fitting. It was also number five, it was a saving death. We're getting close. It was a saving death. Why did he die? Look at verse 10. He tells you there. He says, in bringing many sons to glory. Ladies, I don't want you to miss this. We live in a world of feminine language and general, excuse me, gender inclusive language of of neuter language. I want you to know that God is spirit. I want you to know that God loves men and women the same. I want you to know that. When it uses the word sons here, it does not exclude women. Amen for that, right? It's everybody, young or old. But that is the word that is used. It says why he died. It was a saving death to bring many sons to glory. What happens to you after you die? You don't just hang out there in the middle of the air somewhere. You don't go haunt a house that you, you lived in one time and hold on to possessions like those silly ghost hunting shows. You go to be with the Lord in glory. That's what it's about. What is the glory of the Lord? Guys, it's so amazing that in heaven, 
There's no light needed. There's everything. There's no sun because the glory of the Lord shines around. Forget pavement and gold and swinging on pearly gates and all that stuff. We get Jesus, and that's good enough. That's why he died. It was a saving death for Christ. But man, it was a severe death. Number six, you were saved, sons and daughters to glory. But I want you to know that he should, look at the middle of verse 10, he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The death of Jesus was gruesome physically. I'm not getting into those details. We have small ears. I think you all know what I'm saying. It was, a, it was, it was nasty, man. It's gross. He did that for you. And I want you to know, sometimes we pick on our Catholic friends because they, they emphasize the death of Jesus and, and all the details therein. Friends, you need to be reminded of that. Every nail, every whip, every beating, everything he took was for you. For you. But it came at an infinite cost. There was physical suffering, but there was so much more, wasn't there? Because on that cross, when he was hanging there, the wrath of Almighty God, the justice of God poured out on him. And like a floodgate, some of y'all have been down the lake of the Ozarks, or Branson, let's use Branson as an example, right? Caleb, you got me, visitor Caleb, he got this in my mind. If you've ever been down to Branson, you know the big dam right there, right? Or whatever dam you have, the Hoover Dam, D-A-M, and you know when that dam breaks, literally the floodgates just The dam of God's justice, which was held back, and his wrath, which was held back when Jesus was on the cross, started to fissure a little bit here and a little bit there. And at the appointed time, all the sin and judgment and just wrath of God came and whooshed over Jesus for you and me. And he did that. But he had to suffer for you and for me. He was perfected through suffering. Let me be clear on this. He's not saying that Jesus had to to do anything other than be God. But as a man, he grew in the wisdom and stature of men, Luke 2. He had to learn as a man, being fully God. But at the same time, when he died on that cross, it was enough for your salvation. And finally, a sanctifying death. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. In other words, Jesus had to grow up and learn to fight sin just like you and I do. We're going to be there next week. At the end of chapter 2, it says, for verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Our Savior suffered to die for your salvation, but also to identify with you. It wasn't a fake thing. Jesus didn't, Jesus, Jesus didn't have some um, uh, CGI graphics or some Pixar movie like Cars and all those cool Disney things that are out there take his place. He didn't have an actor that stepped in for him to do the crazy shots that are dangerous. He literally did it all himself. Why? We're going to stop at verse 11. He did it so he's not ashamed to call you brother or call you sister. Can I just be honest with you as we close? Jesus should be ashamed of you and me. Shouldn't he? I hope you see that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. God has every reason to be ashamed of us. He should walk across the other side of the street when he sees you coming. 
He should be like this when you're walking. He should blacklist you. He should block you. He should defriend you. He should unfollow you. Use all the practical social media terms you got. He should not have anything to do with you and me, all of us. But he's not ashamed because of all this to call us his friend, yet still being God. Look, some of you had fathers growing up that were terrible to you. I mean terrible. They said things, they did things, they made you. And when you hear God called father, you think of that earthly father of all those things. Friends, I know that's painful, but I'm here to tell you that our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is approachable. He loves you no matter what someone earthly here did for you. And they're ashamed of you. I want you to know that God should be ashamed of you, but he doesn't walk across the other side of the street. He doesn't cover his eyes. He doesn't plug his ears when you come to him. He listens. All because of what he did for us on that cross. Why did he come? To regain lost creation and redeem sinners so that he could look at us and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you and I care for you. Muhammad never did that. Buddha never did that. Christian never did that. Biden never did that. Tom Brady never did that. Patrick Mahomes never will do that. Jesus Christ, the God-man, did that for us. Let's pray together. Father, as we close today, prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Lord, we ask that as we do this last song and go to the supper, that you would remind us of what you've done for us. Father, I pray for all the little kids here this morning, some of my own, some visiting, some regular. Lord, that you would open their eyes and hearts, if they don't already, to know the truth of the gospel, that Jesus so loved them that they he gave his life for them. Father, we know this. We're in a church that preaches this all the time. But Father, as we partake of the supper in just a few moments after our last song, would you just magnify this in our hearts? Would you help us to know about it more and more? Because we love you so much, Lord. Thank you for giving us your son, and thank you for helping us know the truth of the gospel. Lord, as we sing before the throne of God, would you help us to know it's all by grace that we got saved. Lord, we sin, but you still love us. You should be ashamed of us and walk to the other side of the street and have nothing to do with us, but you wrap us in your arms. Only you could do that, God. Thank you so much. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.